it began with the forging of the great theories. Three were given to analogue horror, beautiful and purest of all content. Seven were given to Rick and Morty, crafted in the halls of Adult Swim. Nine were given to Disney, who above all else desired power. But there was a final theory, forged in secret, in the bowels of Mount YouTube. Hello, Internet! Welcome to Film Theory, the show that bows to the one algorithm that rules them all. It's been a while since we last covered the Lord of the Rings on the channel. Nearly five years, in fact. Back then, we covered the massively popular fan theory that when Gandalf told the Fellowship to... Fly, you fools! He was literally telling the Fellowship to fly the giant eagles to Mordor. Well, it seems like the creators of Amazon's new Lord of the Rings series, The Rings of Power, saw that theory and didn't particularly care for it. Considering that in, like, the first five minutes of their new Lord of the Rings series, The Rings of Power, an eagle gets nommed on by a giant beast, falls through a fireball, and then crashes into the middle of a battlefield. Jeez, guys, overkill much? Don't take it personally. Remember, it's all just a theory. By the way, did you know that Amazon spent $250 million just on the rights to make the new Rings of Power series? And they've poured an additional $465 million into making the first season. And let me just say, when your budget is more than the gross domestic product of of nine separate countries, yeah, your series is gonna look great. The Rings of Power is gorgeous. The costumes are cool, the effects are near flawless, the scripts are meh. Not to say The Rings of Power is bad by any means, it's, it's pretty good, but only pretty good is a tough review when you're talking about one of the most incredible fantasy series of all time. I guess money truly can't buy happiness or scripts with forward momentum. All joking aside, we gotta be honest with ourselves. This was always gonna be an impossible uphill battle. Who was really gonna win here? A near perfect screen adaptation for one of the best, longest-lasting novel trilogies of all time, or a brand new series that's riffing on a mix of new characters alongside some old faces whose most exciting adventures we already know. Like I said, it's fine, but the Peter Jackson movies were iconic. Not only did they have themselves the biggest battles and the most memorable moments, but they were filled with a near-endless supply of memes. Potatoes! Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Man, I tell you what, the meme economy boomed after these films came out, and it's been thriving ever since. Practically every line from the trilogy has been made into a meme. Heck, a few even turned into catchy songs. But of them all, there's one that's risen above the rest, becoming a staple across Reddit and Twitter for over a decade. One does not simply walk into Mordor. See, this one really sticks out not only because of the mountain of memes that it spawned, but also because, you know, that's kind of exactly what happens in the movies. The hobbits just waltz up Mount Doom and chuck the ring down into the lava. Get dunked on there, Boromir. Shows what you know. But also, Sean Bean here should have himself a point. Not only is Mordor one of the most heavily guarded parts of the world full of evil orcs and lava and giant fiery eyeballs, but it's also hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from Frodo's comfortable home in the Shire. So, my theorist brain did what my theorist brain tends to do. It asked whether you could really make the journey to Mordor on foot like we see in the movies. Was this truly a case of plot convenience? Sean Bean makes it sound like it's an impossible task. The hobbits make it look easy. So which one is right? Can you simply walk into Mordor? Pack your second breakfasts, loyal theorists. We've got a long and 
and winding road ahead of us. To figure this out, we actually broke our data collection down into three categories. Physical feasibility, lore, and psychology. Let's start with physical feasibility. Could Sam and Frodo have actually made the journey from Hobbiton to Mordor on foot? Well, to figure it out, we first have to look at how far the two of them actually walked. Thankfully, due to the Lord of the Rings fandom being old enough to date back to the Triassic period in terms of online communities, we actually already have the exact path that Sam and Frodo took during their quest mapped out. Starts up here in the Shire, follows along the East Road for a spell before going down along the Misty Mountains and crossing through Moria. They keep heading south through the Brown Lands and Dead Marshes before turning east and crossing into Mordor. All of that is generally agreed upon. Easy peasy, I love it when a fandom gets along. Where there's some disagreement though is the real world distance for all of this. As you can imagine, scaling a fictional world is always going to be a bit of a tricky subject. So I figured I'd dust off the handy dandy pixel ruler to make a measurement for myself. First off, I found an official map of Middle Earth that included a bar scale that let me see exactly how far 50 miles was on the map. From there, I broke down the aforementioned path into segments of roughly 10 miles, patching it all together and counting it all up. Admittedly, it's a bit of a rough estimation, but between leaving the Shire and throwing the ring into Mount Doom, the hobbits traveled approximately 1,840 miles, or 2,961 kilometers. Now, if that number seems high to you, it's because it is. For comparison's sake, that'd be similar to walking from Los Angeles, California to Indianapolis, Indiana, or from London, England to Ankara, Turkey. There's a reason the whole adventure took three movies, people. Middle Earth is big. That said, we also know that the Fellowship took a great deal of this journey by boat. In the film, we see them canoeing about 360 miles down the river Anduin from Lothlorien to Amonhen. That's where Boromir gets himself turned into a shish kebab and Frodo says, yeah, nah, before peacing out. Plus, there's also a massive portion of the trip from Weathertop to Rivendell where Frodo's carried on horseback by Arwen. So that's another 230 miles that's taken care of. Still, even if we don't count the part of the journey that's taken by boat or by horse, the hobbits still hiked an impressive 1,245 miles or 2,003 kilometers. But while it certainly sounds difficult, that doesn't necessarily mean it isn't possible. If you want a real world comparison, you can actually take a look at the Appalachian Trail from the United States. Running from Georgia to Maine, this trek is actually a bit longer than the full distance Sam and Frodo traveled, clocking in at about 2,190 miles or 3,524 kilometers. Every year, thousands of hikers attempt to through hike the trail, walking the entire route from one end to the other. And though most of them fail, about one in four are successful. It just takes a lot of patience and trail smarts. Hikers that complete the Appalachian generally do so in somewhere between five to seven months. You know what they say, slow and steady hikes the trail, or something like that. And in the case of the Appalachians, yeah, it's entirely true. But how does that compare to what we see in the films? How fast were Sam and Frodo able to complete their hike? Well, it isn't explicitly shown. They're movies. You can cover weeks or even months of time with cool montages of our characters jogging across the landscapes of New Zealand. But while the movies let us down, the novels don't. According to the novels, Frodo left his home in the Shire on September 23rd of the year 3018 of the Third Age, and the ring was destroyed on March 25th of the year 3019. Given that Middle-earth uses the same calendar as regular Earth, Sam and Frodo's jaunt from the Shire into Mordor took him approximately six months. It's a pretty darn close to the seven-month average needed for the Appalachians. So shockingly, Frodo's journey lines up perfectly with a similar sort of hike that we see happening in the real world. Or at least it would have had it not been for one thing. The Hobbits took a lot of long breaks. We're told in the books that the Hobbits spent approximately two months in Rivendell from October 23rd to December 25th and another month, January 17th to February 16th in Lothlorien. So instead of making the journey in six months, they actually did it in three, roughly 90 
52 days, if you're being generous. And now you start to push the edges of believability. So now the question is whether a hobbit could travel that far in 92 days. We'll carve off about a week's worth of travel to account for the time that they're spending on horseback and sailing down the river Anduin. It's actually way more than they technically need, but I wanted to be generous with our estimates. So with 85 days left to walk, could a hobbit actually do it? Hobbits are much shorter than humans, so we can't just take a human's typical walking speed. Thankfully, it's actually easy to calculate someone's stride length and figure out how fast they can travel by foot. A person's stride is typically 0.415 times their height. The maximum height of a hobbit is 4 feet, meaning that a hobbit's stride length is roughly 20 inches or half a meter long. On average, a moderate walking pace will usually be about 3,500 steps in an hour. And though this is starting to hit the upper bounds of what's reasonable, let's assume that the Fellowship spent about 14 hours a day traveling. So with all of that in mind, a hobbit could travel about 15 miles or 24 kilometers per day. That results in 1,321 miles or 2,126 kilometers in 85 days. Considering the whole trek required a total of 1,245 miles of walking, they'd have some time to spare. Not a whole lot, but definitely some. And that's also assuming that they didn't hasten their pace thanks to traveling with experienced rangers and guides like Aragorn and Gollum. So while it would certainly be physically demanding, it is technically possible. More importantly, we also have to remember that the Fellowship took extended breaks to puff their pipe weed with Elrond. These pit stops actually were essential to their success, because through hiking an entire trail of this length isn't always healthy for the body. On average, men lose up to a fifth of their body weight, between 20 and 40 pounds while they hike through the Appalachian Trail. It can be seriously dangerous if the hiker hasn't prepared for it, and even ones who do come out on the other side with a BMI closer to Gollum's than Sam's. Stupid fat hobbit. The hobbits would have definitely faced a similar issue. We even see that Sam in particular has lost a great deal of weight by the time they reach Mordor. Thankfully, the breaks in these elven settlements allowed Sam and Frodo to put weight back on their bodies and recover from any trail-related injuries, including a pretty nasty stab wound. Would hate to be walking 14 hours a day with that one. It also gave them the opportunity to restock on some much-needed supplies, including the mystical Lembus bread, which is like 4,000 protein bars jammed into a slice of pound cake. Lembus, one small bite is enough to fill the stomach of a grown man. How many did you eat? This meant that they didn't have to forage, fish, or hunt for every single one of their meals, which in turn made the latter months of the trek much more comfortable. So, is it possible for someone to literally walk from the Shire to Mordor? Yeah, it's feasible. People regularly do longer hikes out here in the real world. Would it be easy? No. It would have been exhausting and pushed their bodies to the extreme, but the hobbits could have done it. So, that's a big old check in the physical challenge department. But that's just one step in the journey. Reaching Mordor was only the first problem. The second was actually getting in. An unconscious Frodo is taken into Mordor after being captured in the spider Shelob's lair, but true to our premise here, Sam just kinda walks in behind him. After rescuing Frodo and starting a small riot, the hobbits put on some armor and just march in with a group of orcs. That has to be stretching the limits of reality, right? Surprisingly, no. First of all, hobbits are just canonically stealthier than other races. That's why Bilbo was chosen for the adventure in The Hobbit. So Sam sneaking in behind the orcs is entirely understandable. As for the orcs not noticing Sam and Frodo dressed up in orc armor? Yeah, psychologically, that is more than plausible. Imagine that you're an orc in Mordor. Not once have you ever thought that you're gonna see two hobbits in your land, let alone sneaking in and out of your fortress on their way to kill your boss. You'd be legitimately shocked, because it's likely you've never even considered that as a possibility. 
invisibility. So your brain isn't telling you that you're walking alongside two hobbits, instead it's telling you that those two orcs next to you are just kinda short. There are plenty of examples of something similar happening in the real world. In 1990, two men dressed as guards and stole 500 million dollars worth of art from a museum in Boston. The men just walked up to the museum after hours, they flashed a fake badge so the security guards would let them in, and then they handcuffed those guards and calmly explained, gentlemen, this is a robbery. Talk about fake it till you make it. Another example, this one even more fun. In 2013, a German man wearing a bootleg bishop's outfit sauntered into the Vatican and almost made it into the chambers where Catholic leaders were electing the next pope. Security only became suspicious when they realized that his cassock was shorter than appropriate and that he was wearing a black fedora in place of a skullcap and a bright purple scarf instead of a sash. Maybe the guy just wanted to play Undertale. The list could go on and on, but one final example here, in 1985, a man just walked into the White House by following the Marine Corps Orchestra, despite having no instrument or uniform. The Secret Service just assumed that he was part of the band, and the band's leader assumed that he worked for the White House. Scientifically, all of these situations were made possible by something called observer bias. Basically, this just means that observers don't tend to see what's there, but instead see what they expect or want to see there. Sometimes, all you need to get into where you're not supposed to be is a clipboard, a ladder, and the right attitude, and no one will give you a second look. So yeah, psychologically, the hobbits walking into Mordor checks out too. Makes that scene in the extended cut of Return of the King, where Sam and Frodo blend in with a group of orc warriors as they march into the Black Gate a lot more reasonable. Finally, that leaves us with the lore! Something that always bothered me about the Lord of the Rings films is that they always seem to portray Sauron as this all-seeing master of evil. As Saruman says, His gaze pierces cloud, shadow, earth, and flesh. So, how can this evil lighthouse not see the ring that's headed straight towards him? Well, Saruman might have been just a hype man here, because Sauron, while powerful, is far from a god. In the film's canon, Sauron's eye can see a great many things, even hundreds or thousands of miles away from Mordor, but he can't see everything everywhere all at once. He isn't omniscient. For instance, the eye can't see the hobbits that are just hiding behind rocks near him. It's a bit of a limitation. We also have to consider that the eye couldn't find the ring while it was in Bilbo's house, or with Gollum, or when it was at the bottom of the river. This proves that he doesn't instinctively know where it is. The only times he seems able to tell exactly where it is instantaneously is when someone puts it on. And even then, he can only GPS locate it. He can't actually see who is in possession of it. After Pippin touches the magic ball and Sauron slides into his DMs, Gandalf is suddenly worried that Pippin is now primary target number one. Additionally, Sauron can't focus on more than one single thing at a time. That was the entire point of the final battle in Return of the King. Aragorn leads what remains of his army to the gates of Mordor. He whispers YOLO and crashes directly into a giant horde of orcs, all as a means to distract Sauron's attention and his armies away from Sam and Frodo, giving them more of a chance to complete their quest. So, from a lore angle, it's a checkmark there too. In the end, yep, Boromir had no idea what he was talking about. Simply walking into Mordor and casually tossing the ring into Mount Doom was not only feasible, it was practically the only way for the plan to work. An eagle flying flying in, it would be spotted by the giant glowing eyeball. Riding through the mountain pass, it would cause extra scrutiny. It had to be on foot. But not only that, it had to be hobbits. See, in Middle-earth, hobbits are a unique people. They don't want for anything. They're simple folk living simple lives, and they're satisfied doing only that. They were created by Tolkien to represent the everyman, the humble people that work hard and make society function. And when given a task, they're the little guy that'll rise to the occasion to save the world. Walking into Mordor and destroying the One Ring is something in Tolkien's 
explore that only a hobbit could do. Basically, everyone we meet along the way in The Lord of the Rings is tempted by the ring in one way or another. Gandalf outright refuses to even touch the ring for fear that its power would lead him to do terrible things. Don't! This comes down to one of Tolkien's core philosophies about men, that those with unlimited power, even if they're good people with good intentions, will be tempted to misuse it. But the hobbits? Hobbits aren't ambitious. They don't long for power. It's something Sauron literally never expected to happen. As stated in the opening narration of The Fellowship of the Ring, Something happened then the ring did not intend. It was picked up by the most unlikely creature imaginable. What's this? A hobbit. Bilbo Baggins. As a result, the only way the ring can poison them is by making them think it's really precious, something you don't want to throw away. Gollum was content to live alone in his cave with the ring forever, but never used it for world domination. Bilbo was the same way. He just liked having it around, feeling its weight in his pocket. To them, giving up the ring wasn't an issue of losing power. It was more just losing an object that they had a strong emotional attachment to, practically watching an episode of Hoarders. That's the whole point of the story of the Lord of the Rings. As these kings and wizards and dark lords play at war, it's the little guy that's doing the hardest work. Work that goes unnoticed by the giant evil eyeball that doesn't appreciate him. So yeah, it was possible to simply walk into Mordor, provided that you were a hobbit going top speed for three months and could still find the time to fight orcs, spiders, and phantom horse riders. Simple work, right? The everyman. Things that I absolutely know are gonna be appreciated by Amazon in their new series. And in the meantime, friends, remember, it's all just a theory. A film theory. And and cut.